And her only other option, it seems, is to, to go to the House of the Undying. You need to come with me to the House of the Undying. I know what you're going to say. I know it sounds odd, but actually, it's really fun. We've got a jacuzzi out the back, got a barbecue. Could be terribly polite. Terribly sorry about this, but, uh, stab, stab. <laughs> would, you, would you kindly just uh, stab? Bruce decides to throw Amory Locke naked to a bear. What I would love there is if Amory Locke turned out to be into it. If he landed in the pit naked and went, you look good, we should talk. Hello and welcome to part six of Shark Liver Oil's coverage of the second book in the Song of Ice and Fire series. It's called A Clash of Kings and this part is called The Old Gods and the New. Uh, We are reading from page 504 in the paperback, which is a chapter about Caitlin, which begins two days' ride from Riverham, as far as page 640, which is a chapter about Tyrion, which begins, If you die stupidly, I'm going to feed your body to the goats. I'm (laughs) Matt... I'm Dave. Hello. Are you are you stepping in on my territory there, Matt? Are you um, <laughs> are you cracking out a Tyrion impression of your own? That was Tyrion light. You do the proper Tyrion oh, one. No, it's I quite, thought I'd just. I listened back to the one we did last time, and I sounded terrible. I sounded like somebody's grandma trying to sound impressive. It's awful. I tell you what, you do sound good at though is the the specific quote with Tyrion from the trailer for <laughs> season four, oh, which yeah. goes. What quote is that then? Oh, right, right, hang on. If you've come looking for justice, you've come to the wrong place. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Literally nobody else in the universe thinks that's good. You realise that, right? Like, I started off on the same wavelength with you, but now I'm starting to doubt it. I mean, don't get me wrong. You you cheer for it all you want, but I'm I'm starting to feel like... I've only got one line. It's not so much a career in impressionism as, as a sort of stumbling across the right sound. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm going to say that I think it's good. Um, oh, if you, you, if you agree with me, please give Dave a bit of encouragement oh. by uh, emailing sharkliveroil at... Uh, it's a sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the podcast in because uh, otherwise it goes to some ropey shark liver some oil salesman, I assume. <laughs> Okay, let's get cracking into this then, because we've got a lot of book to get through today. And um, the first chapter is Catelyn. At, um, she returns to Riverham. Remember, she's been treating with, uh, with Renly, who's now dead, and she's come back to Riverham. And um, she gets the news. Um, she hears news about Oxcross, about Rob's big battle and his victory. And Sir Wendell Manderley, who's her, one of her escorts, whoops um, when he hears the noise. And I love that, because it makes me think of him literally going, woo-woo. <laughs> it does sound like it, doesn't it? Like he just goes the full-on frat boy. Woo-woo. <laughs> Chest bumps the guy next to him in full plate armour. Yeah, I think he's quite, he's quite young, Sir Wendell, so I suppose it does sort of make sense, but it's quite nice. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Catelyn isn't quite as ecstatic. She's still a bit worried because Rob is... Rob's still away from Riverrun. He's basically in Lannister territory now. He's somehow, we find, has been led around. Remember the Golden Tooth is this bottleneck between the Riverlands and uh, where the Lannisters are. Uh, And he's been led around that. And now he's in Lannister territory. And him and his bannermen are basically just running amok. um, The Great John's captured the mines, which are the gold mines. 
Um, I think the Daisy Mormons is is driving a lot of cattle back to the Riverlands. The Karstarks, your boys, are, are raiding on, boys. the coast. Yeah, that's the yeah, way they, to do it. They have acquitted themselves well. They're much better than the bloody tall, tall hearts. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you've ditched uh, the tall hearts now, haven't you? You've gone full on Bolton. Yeah, I've still got a you know a lingering um, love for them, but uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, basically, and obviously, this is why, as we saw in the last chapter, Tywin Lannister's riding out now, and this must be why because Rob is making causing some real trouble in his lands now. And when you take the gold mines, you know, that's, that is the Lannisters' power. Mm. So they need to take those back. Yeah. Um, so that's the plan. Uh, Brienne um, is, is going through a difficult phase at the moment because obviously her, um, she was serving Renly and she was obviously in love with him as well. And she's trying to work out what to do next. She plans to try and go and assassinate Stannis. And Catelyn manages to talk her out of it. And in the end, Brienne offers her service to Catelyn instead. She is... It's funny, Bri- Brienne's kind of like Sansa, but with a sword, because she believes these How? tales of knights, doesn't she? Oh. Because she's, she, she's into this whole vows are sacred, and she takes oaths that she makes incredibly seriously, more so, it seems, than many other real knights around. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? I, I thought... When I heard you saying that, I thought you were talking the biggest pile of crap I think I'd ever heard in my life. <laughs> like, how would she like Sansa? Brienne's great. Sansa sucks. But actually, um, I, you're onto something there. She's just... She's she's a true believer in the in the myths and the legends, isn't she? And it's... Yeah. Unlike Sansa, it doesn't seem to be doing her very much good. Seems to be causing no. her more anguish than it's relieving. And um, but she, yeah, she, she is now sworn to Catelyn, if you like. Mm. Um, we find out that Catelyn's uh, brother Edmure, who's the heir of, uh, of of Riverham, he plans to offer battle to Tywin Lannister as he makes his way through the Riverlands. Offer um, battle, I like that as a, as a verb. It's good, isn't it? Do you, do, you, do you fancy a battle? No, no, no <laughs> never mind. No, that's all right. No, we won't. That's okay. <laughs> that is the right. That is the right term, though, isn't it? It that's is. What you do. You it is. Battle. I just. I just, I, you know, <laughs> offer battle. It's so like kind of proper because surely the correct <laughs> verb is have a go at him or yeah. chop his fucking nuts off or something. Not. <laughs> you, would you like a battle, Sir Samendley? Battle? Anyone? No. I'm offering a battle here. <laughs> um, it turns out that uh, Stannis is now besieging Storm's End because the guy in charge of Storm's End, the Castilian Courtney Penrose, um, won't surrender um unless um he gets some guarantees about edric storm who's um, one of robert's bastards and basically it seems that this guy courtney penrose is is worried about what's going to happen to this boy edric storm and he so he's basically holding out against this massive army just for the sake of him and it makes caitlin or catelyn reflect on the different uh ways that sort of men treat their bastards as far mm. as this Courtney Penrose is, is risking a lot for this baseborn child. Mm. And, you know, Ned was always very loving towards John. Mm. And then you compare that to, I think later on, she compares it to Roose Bolton. Mm. Um, we'll get to that in a bit. But he um, <laughs> doesn't seem remotely bothered about the fact that his, his bastard son's been killed. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll, oh, wait, we'll he, find he out more says something even worse, doesn't he? Doesn't he say something like, kind of, yeah, it's good job he's dead really he was a wrong and like yeah just doesn't like care that, yeah i think he says um something like tainted blood um 
is you know uh, never uh, is never true, something like that. Yeah, he, well, he basically I, saying that he's a bastard, so he was obviously going to be, you know, not follow orders and. Yeah, well, as opposed to over. all the uh, all the honourable deeds done by boys born within the bounds of wedlock, <laughs> like in this in this story, I think I struggle to yeah. draw a distinction between the honour the dishonourable behaviour of bastards and the quote honourable behaviour of, um, you know, legitimate heirs. I, I do like Ruth Bolton's reaction though, in a way, sort of just <laughs> he gets told that his 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 bastard son's been a. Uh, like effectively betraying elements of 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 the Starks in Winterfell, and his response is just to sort of shrug his shoulders and go, "No, oh, he's a bastard. What are you going to do?" <laughs> <laughs> it's to be expected. <laughs> I'm glad you've got rid of him because it's probably the best thing for everybody. <laughs> oh bloody hell! Well, mind you, that tells that again. We get another little view, don't we, into this man who flays people to get information out of them. Like yeah, I would, allegedly, we don't know he does. Oh, we don't know what. All right, <laughs> allegedly. Are you kidding? It's on his fucking standard. I mean, yeah, I think his his ancestors did. I don't know if he does. He still do it. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's next. He does live in a place called the Dread Fort, <laughs> not like Happy this Land. Is, <laughs> you see, now I've thrown a lot in with that. You know, I may as well. I, I, I do, they are badass, aren't they? At least, oh, Matthew, <laughs> they pull men's skin off. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, the, so does this uh, K- Caitlin wanders past, like as she arrives at Riverrun? There are these Lannisters hanging, um, the, the bodies of Lannisters hanging. So they've, they've <laughs> I thought you meant executed. they were just sort of like just chilling yeah, by the side out. of the road. So like, to What's up? <laughs> we just kind of we decided to step out of the war for a second, have a few Your beers. <laughs> <laughs> what going on? <laughs> what up, Lady C? <laughs> um, yeah, no, these these Lannisters have been have been executed, and uh, Catelyn thinks, oh, she, her, her first reaction is, oh no, if this are if they if they're executing Lannister prisoners, that is bad news for Sansa and Arya in in King's Landing. Yeah, but it, it turns out the reason these Lannisters have been killed is that the Tullys have got the drop on or have managed to stop that t- Tyrion's plot to break out Jamie Lannister so there was there was this oh, big host yeah. that was sent up ostentatiously to to protect Sir Cleos Frey oh this is this and is the some... group of people who sounded like a joke wasn't it it was like <laughs> yeah. a, a mummer an assassin a, whatever it is a juggler and a butcher's boy walking to yeah. the... <laughs> But it, it looks like they, they nearly... Well, they did manage to free Jamie Lannister, but they were stopped before they could escape because, basically, the I think the mummer could do a really good impression of Edmure <laughs> and so it had sort of given an order in Edmure's voice to allow people into the prison to release Jamie Lannister. And as they were being released, this guy, um, one of the lookouts at Riverrun, saw Edmure returning because he'd been out to a brothel <laughs> and um and that sort of that sort of blew the plan open and they managed to recapture Jamie. He, he took quite a few guards with him it turns out. But um they've got him captured again. But it was great this because it's one of those moments you think when when Tyrion sent this group off, you thought Tyrion's a bit of a master 
artist at these kind of things, it's probably going to work. And I was just so relieved seeing that they've managed to stop it somehow. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You had a sense of foreboding, didn't you? And this is another example of something that could have been really dramatic happening off camera, if you like. And yeah, yeah. And this is this is happening increasingly, and it's another thing, like we said last time, with the kind of Stannis' magic shadows really feel like a dangerous plot choice. This feels less like that, but it's still a little bit like, you know, I hope you know what you're doing, George. I hope, you, I hope you're choosing the right scenes to show me, because this could have been yeah. great. Yeah, I suppose the same could be said for something like the Battle of Oxcross. We've not mm. seen any of Rob's battles, really, have we? Actually, that's really true. We've only seen... Is the one in front of um, River Run, right? Uh, yeah, and that was. I mean, we, we saw Whispering Wood, but um, where Jamie Lannister was captured. Just we didn't see it; we just heard what Catelyn heard uh, as the battle was going on. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, breaking the siege of River Run, um, <clears throat> we just saw bits and pieces from the walls, didn't we? Mm. I think. Uh, but yeah, and then and then Oxcross, we've just heard reports of it. So, yeah, we've not really seen anything of Rob's battles. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, I mean, again, I'm, I'm still with him. You know, I'm, George, mm. I am with you. But I really hope that I'm not missing out on some good stuff. I, th- I think it's, it's as much to do with the fact that rather than him, uh, the, the author thinking, well, it's not really worth showing this in real time, it's, it's just that he's, he's obviously co- he's committed to these, I don't know, six central POV characters and it basically means anything that happens has to be seen through one of the one of their eyes. And the problem he's got with things like Oxcross or uh, with um, yeah. with this breakout attempt, he doesn't have a POV character there, so he can't write it in real time. Yeah, unless he adds you know, unless he adds another character, because you, you'd need to do it from I don't know from Jamie Lannister's point of view or from Edmure's point of view. Mm. Um, I, I suppose the most obvious one would be from Jamie Lannister's point of view. So you'd get him getting broken out, but yeah. because we haven't been in his head yet, it, it, it's it's hard to justify bringing it in now, isn't it? Well, I suppose that's true, but at the same time, like he he is bringing in new point of view characters. You know, he brought in Sir Davos this time, yeah. um, and I suppose you don't want to do that all over the shop. But I don't know what the upside of of only telling it through the eyes of a few characters is. You know. Yeah, I think it's I think it's because you can only have because there's so much going on. Mm. You can only have so many plates spinning at once um, with different characters that you're supposed to be attached to. Mm. So if you have too many of them, it becomes just too disparate, mm-hmm. and you, you spend seven chapters away from Catelyn. And by the time you get back to her, so much of the plot's moved on. Mm. You, you know, you can't really get a feel for what's going on. I suppose if you've got loads of POV characters, the plots. The plot either slows to a crawl as each of them experience what's happening, or <laughs> or it just true, gets yeah. diluted down that you don't really feel for any of them you because really care, you yeah. keep flicking between them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a really difficult balance act, isn't it? Because I, I agree, you do lose something by not seeing these big set pieces play out. Mm. Yeah. Um. So they managed to stop that Lannister plot. Um. And there's this. There's obviously this plan, um, which Edmure's plan to, to to meet Tywin in the field is that he's going to try and stop Tywin Lannister crossing uh, the fords, which is basically where the you know where the river cuts between um, the uh, cuts the country in half. Effectively, yeah. it's the strong point where the Tullys can possibly hold the Lannisters. Yeah. And he thinks if he can, if Edmure, Edmure thinks if he can do that, then 
Bruce Bolton can come around and cut off Tywin's retreat. Mm. And he's also ordered um, the Tallhearts to join the Boltons as well. Come on, boys. Um, it's not too yeah, late to be yeah. impressive. <laughs> They've come down from uh, from the phrase, uh, the phrase pad up in the Twins. Um, <laughs> the only other thing here is there's a, a really sort of quiet moment where Catelyn um, sees the, the bones of Ned because, if you remember, Tyrion, as a sort of show of good faith, mm. has returned Ned's body to uh, to the Starks. Yeah. So um, Caitlin goes to see Ned, and it's just he's just a skeleton now, and it's and that's uh, quite it's, a, it's just a it's a, another nice bit of texture, isn't it? It and is. She decides to send his his bones on to Winterfell to be buried beneath the crypt. Yeah. Not in the crypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know there was a lot of emotion kind of invested in in this in the last book, so it's it's nice that it gets a little kind of moment. But it is also yeah. quite horrifying, isn't it? The way she's like, because she stays with him overnight, doesn't she? Yeah. She's like my, you know, just alone in a room with her husband's bones, with his head reattached yeah. with wire, and he just like. Yeah. I'm not certain this is a good way to mourn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you know, each to their own, of course, but uh, I can't see how that's going to get you to kind of move past it. it makes your well, what, last memory what? of your husband a skeleton with wire around the neck. Yeah, I suppose it's better than spending a, a night with his rotting corpse. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> but can you think of many things that are worse than spending a night with the rotting corpse of a loved one? No, that's no, true. No, <laughs> I don't think there is very much in, in the in the field of dealing with grief. That's You've worse got me there, that. Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the other slightly creep, creepy aspect of this are the um, the silent sisters who who are carrying Ned's body uh, Ned's body oh, yeah. back to Winterfell, and um, she uh, these are known as we Caitlin sort of considers. They they don't they they call the silent sisters because they don't speak to anybody. Mm. It says she, that they don't speak to the living, but it's rumored that they can speak to the dead. And it's it's one of those things that at the start of book one, yeah, you dismiss as just sort of sure. myth yeah. and rubbish. But now, after what we've seen happen to you know Renly and other bits and pieces, you wonder whether they maybe there is some truth in that. I don't know. It could be. Although what it makes me think mostly is. I have a strong sense of the actual magic that's starting to be practiced, you know, with the with the dragons and with the White Walkers and with Stannis's magic shadow assassins. Um, yeah, all of that seems to be taking everybody by surprise and almost kind of superseding the um, the kind of the stuff the the quote unquote magic that has been slightly more in view. Um, and I, there's a bit later on in this section, actually, where there's like, I think it's Daenerys, I think we're over in a over in a city somewhere else, and she sees somebody pulling off a kind of magic trick. Oh, yeah, it's that thing of the fire breathers yeah. or something like that, it's, isn't it? it? Well, it's, it's a guy who is called the fire breather or whatever, and, and used to clearly just be a bit of a street performer. But now, suddenly, somehow, has become powerful enough that he can make a ladder out of fire, climb it, and disappear at the top of it, all in thin air in front of a whole crowd. Yeah, and um, and so uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get a scene later on with one of these um, silent sisters, where one of them just absolutely loses her shit because it turns out she can actually talk to the dead, whereas <laughs> now she's just been pretending. 
Yeah. Well, let's let's move on to that. That Daenerys, because Daenerys is the next chapter, and she does see this. Yeah, this this um, street performer. Mm. Um, it's like something out of the Night Circus, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, but there's no the Bailey. We've done before, so it's all alright. No Bailey. Thank God. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there's. She's, and while she's watching this act, Quaith, who's this, or Kaith, who's this uh, um, mysterious woman from a shy who is knocking about at the moment, mm. she says, she effectively suggests that the reason, she says that real magic is coming back into the world now. Mm. And she says it's something to do with Daenerys' dragons. Oh, so so there's a cause and effect thing going on. Like that's that, well, that's what this this woman suggests, and Daenerys is sort of wondering whether that yeah. could possibly be true. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there is this over, this wider narrative about when dragons died out, that sort of the man, the like magic sort of died out with them. Yeah, and it's um, not clear which if the dragons make the magic happen or if the magic makes the dragons happen. I have to say yeah. that in in any other piece of magic based fiction. I would expect it to be that the magic caused the dragons, not the other way around. But, but maybe yeah. that's a narrative masterstroke because it is magic after all. I mean, who says it has to follow any rules? Yeah, it, but if that is true, there's a continuity problem, isn't there? Because at the very start of the first book, the White Walkers were knocking about and the dragons hadn't been hatched. Uh... Uh, unless, I don't know, maybe there are two types of magic. Oh, could be, could be. Or maybe the White Walkers aren't magic at all, Matt. Maybe... I'm right, and they're the old gods. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I'm still. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm waving that flag high in the air. I want to take that home to the bank. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose what's the difference between the gods be like sort of inhuman uh, form and and magic? I suppose it's a oh, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, I I would only say that I like the two types of magic idea because of the whole sort of a song of ice and fire mm. and you've got ice and you've got fire and the dragons are fire aren't they mm. and the white walkers are ice they're coming from the frozen north <laughs> no we've established this Matt they're not so much ice as they are cookie monsters cookie monsters <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know it just seems quite neat to me that, it does so. it does and actually is it in I think it's it's, a, it's another Daenerys chapter later on in this section isn't there where yeah. there's actually a shout out to that song of ice and fire thing, so maybe let's stick a pin in that, and I'll be interested to see when we get to it how what's mm. said later on relates to this, you know, cold gods and dragons thing. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, the other, other other things to say about this chapter, um, Daenerys is is basically begging um, the the great and the good of uh, of Carth to. To actually give her ships and and help her retake the Iron Throne, and, and they don't seem minded to to do that. They're just curious about the dragons. Yeah. They don't want to spend any money on her. Yeah. Um, th- there's a mention of these these assassins called the Sorrowful Men, mm. who they they're, they're these expert assassins in this area. And the reason they're known as the Sorrowful Men is because they apologise when they're killing their victims. They sort of whisper, "I'm so sorry for you being killed as they kill them." Creepy. Which is, yeah, I love that. I yeah. thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, me too. And um, uh, <laughs> um, particularly because it does imply the possibility in their heads that they've got it wrong. <laughs> like I just not so. <laughs> I imagine them saying it not in a kind of creepy, "I'm so sorry," stab kind of a way, but in more, much more in a kind of like, uh, 
Listen, if it's not supposed to be you, I'm really sorry about this. <laughs> there could be a third one. It could be like a terribly polite and terribly sorry about this. But, uh, stab, stab. <laughs> uh, would, you, would you kindly just start? stab? Would, would you mind ever so much if I just, just shank, shank? <laughs> um, I, actually, it says that in the book, doesn't it? It's like it says, Carth is, you know, is supposed to be this place of extremely refined manners that have made them almost useless, and yeah. um, and you know the fact that they have apologetic assassins is supposed to be one of the signs <laughs> of that. She's oh, it's cold. Yeah. It really is comedy sketch. <laughs> really good. Um, the so uh, the, Daenerys is in a real bind here because she needs. She needs to move on. Mm. She can't stay here forever. Mm. But she doesn't. She doesn't quite know how to manage it. There's this this guy who's putting her up and giving her loads of money called Zara Zara Daxos. <laughs> who is um, not at all related to any manufacturers of popular drain cleaning equipment. No, just, it just sounds to me like a chemical, not a person. <laughs> but he um he keeps asking to marry her, mm. and um and it's basically because um, the tradition here is when you get married the. The, the groom can ask for one gift from the bride. So he's basically going to get a dragon if they get married. Yeah. And um, it's obvious that he doesn't, he isn't madly in love with her because it turns out he's gay. Um, Is from it? what, um, yeah, oh, she says, that. she, she, she picks up on it from, she says that from the, like the, the beautiful perfumed boys that he keeps around him and things like that, she gets the feeling that uh... he isn't, he isn't truly like, into her in the same way that Sajora. I think she, I think she, she, she compares him to the way Sajora looks at her and stuff, and she, she knows from, you know, she, she can tell the difference basically. And mm. um, which is interesting because in the series, um, this this character Zaro Zaro is um, is very much sort of a, uh, he, well, he ends up. I think he ends up bedding one of the uh, one of the women, one of the serving girls around her. Oh yeah, this is um, the one, the one who who in the book dies on route, and in the yeah, TV series, Dorea, isn't it? yeah, 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 she makes it She's there and then shags the most powerful bloke. Um, yeah, uh, and and then something happens which I won't say. But yeah. um, I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's probably um, there's not much else more to it than that, but yeah. just interesting another difference. Yeah. Um, so her decision, she, she 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 doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to marry this guy and lose a dragon. Um, and her only other option, it seems, is to to take on the offer of this guy Piat Pri, who's a warlock, the guy with the blue lips, mm. and he keeps asking her to go to this place called the House of the Undying because he says they he says the warlocks can help her in some way, and she basically says to Sajora, you know, that's the only choice. Why now, not? So I may as well give it a try. Yeah. yeah. Although I, I have to say that the, the House of the Undying as a destination name really does leave something <laughs> to be desired, doesn't it? I mean, I suppose it does have in there the implication that you won't die. Um, you know, if the House of the Dying, that would be troubling. The House of the Dead, yeah. even worse. De- Death House. Death House. <laughs> the House of the Death Dead. House. And the Cinnamons. Um, <laughs> but, um, like, it's still, it doesn't really kind of appeal, does it? You always imagine Pyat Prie being like, kind of like, you need to come with me to the House of the Undying. Now, I, I know what you're going to say. I know it sounds odd, but actually, weirdly <laughs> enough, it's really fun. We've got a jacuzzi out the back, got a barbecue. It's actually it's really quite fun, quite airy and light and nice. But, uh, but don't go. Where are you going? Come back. <laughs> I wish I had called it the House of the Dead because that reminds me of that. Do you remember that uh, game you could play? Oh, arcade classic game. Classic arcade game. The House 
of the dead. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. But anyway, it's not that, is it? Mind you, he's already done a zombie vibe, though. I mean, wouldn't it be great if he just ended the series here? She goes into the house of the, the undying, the house of the dead, and encounters all the White Walkers in one place and goes, oh, that was fairly easy then. Dragons, kill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, End. Not, exactly. That might be how it ends. You never know. Oof. Um, I hope not, because have he'd have to describe it in a lot of depth, because there are five books left in the series. And then Daenerys <laughs> opened the next door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, next up is Tyrion. He's um, down by the uh, seaside, <laughs> by the because seaside, he's, he's, he's seeing off Mycella, who's the, uh, the daughter. Mm. Uh, she, yeah, she's, she's Joffrey's little sister mm. um, there's basically Joffrey Mycella and Tommen the three people are, who are sort of on the throne at the moment so she's getting sent off to Dawn, which is this area of Westeros we haven't come across yet which mm. has stayed out of the fighting so far mm. she's supposed to marry someone over there to get Dawn on side with the Lannisters mm. so she's being sent off and it's, she seems quite um, seems quite an admirable little character she's only a child but she's not crying as she's being sent off to this yeah. strange place on her own and she seems like she's going to just deal with it. Uh, she's, yeah, she seems to be dealing quite um, quite womanfully with the fact that everybody she's ever known or loved has traded her like so much gold in exchange yeah. for a diplomatic consideration. He's a heartless way of doing things in this world, isn't it? <sighs> yeah. On the way back to... So, so all the, the royal family have come down to see off my cellar and it's, you get the feeling it's one of the few times that the royals have left the the safety of the red keep in in recent weeks because the the people outside as we've seen are getting more and more desperate because they're starving the last time i think the last time we were at the red keep joffrey was shooting them with crossbows saying you have leave to eat the dead so they're not exactly the most sympathetic of rulers witty um, yeah in the end here um this it all goes wrong insofar as this woman comes out from the crowd in front of in front of the the procession with a with her sort of dead baby in her arms and then um Cersei says something like there's nothing we can do for her which gets people into a rage the mobs there's this mob starts throwing manure at Joffrey um Joffrey orders the hound to find who threw the manure and kill him did you think it was manure because by this point, I was so on George Martin's wavelength, I'm pretty sure it's human shit. Oh, it could be, I suppose, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and that's just a yeah. much, much funner um, kind of uh, kind of prospect, isn't it? Like Joffrey yeah. pulling crap out of his hair. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So, who did this? Who did yeah. this? Yeah. Hilarious. Um, but in the end, it turns into just an absolute riot as yeah. they get attacked by this mob of people. Mm. And they, they've got to flee for the castle mm. and um, as as Joffrey's sort of riding away um, it's great this Mandon Moore one of the king's guard is described as a, as a white shadow next to him yeah which is it's kind of cool that's the sort of that's the protection that he has and, and he I think someone grabs at Joffrey and he ends up chopping his arm off um, yeah there's no messing <laughs> with them is there yeah uh, the, the banner carriers um, uh are attacked as well, mm. and he, uh, Tyrion sees this sort of banner fall as as someone gets overwhelmed, and this other knight who's with them called Balan Swan. Do you remember the guy who made a who's made a joke a while back about the king, mm. um, the three cups guy? Yeah, 
he he drops his banner, sees it, drops his banner straight away and draws his sword and cuts his way free. Mm. And just a little snapshot of, you know, it looks like there's, there's a knight there who kind of knows what he's doing. Um, and then <laughs> they, they, they get back to the safety of the castle, some of them, yeah. and some people haven't made it back. And Tyrion is so angry, he actually strikes Joffrey yeah. and, um, and says, it calls him a fool and says, you, you know, you set your dog on, no wonder they rioted, you set your dog on them. Yeah. And um, he, Joffrey just doesn't get it, does he? No. Yeah. I've got to tell you, I loved this scene. I, I loved this scene. I mean, as, as well as for the schadenfreude of seeing Joffrey get his ass kicked. Um, yeah. I just, there were so many good things in this and I thought it played much better than it did in the TV series. I mean, in the TV yeah, series, they played it very... Um, they, uh, it was rough and it was dramatic, but the, it didn't have the same kind of weight as this has. You know, you have a real sense of the, of the royal household being genuinely shaken by it. And, and, yeah. it's, and it's so good because it's a moment of, of seeing this kind of entitled cack-handedness. Um, which mm. has really marked the Lannisters throughout this whole series so far. I mean, as if in the middle of a crowd that size, the sight of a dead baby, and what you do as the Queen is say, oh, it, basically it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. as if you're stupid enough to do that. Um, yeah. And it's just, and you have this sense of them all being up on their high horses and there are banners around and there's all this pomp and circumstance. And it means, uh, it means as much as as like a spider web in the wind like all of this all of this stuff which they consider to be like defining themselves and is what makes them special and what makes them right and what gives them the right to to decide life and death over thousands of people and and it just means absolutely nothing and it's great because and because then you see Tyrion who's the only character who gets that um, just proper kicking off, and I think it's a risky move, but it it really comes off like from a narrative point of view. Because to a certain extent, Joffrey's really frightening to this point in the series because he's mm. he has the power of life and death over anyone, and he's a very whimsical, you know, very very yeah, he's a psychopath. Um, yeah, and to have him attacked by somebody who's two and a half foot tall and for that to have no consequences for the man who's two and a half foot tall kind of weakens Joffrey as a threatening force but I think that's really smart because you've had a lot of that to this point in the book and what it does is say okay we've established that Joffrey's crazy but uh, um, what it does is bolster Tyrion and means that you get in this moment this kind of look this is crumbling to this point the Lannisters have been very in- intimidating because they have all the gold and all the swords and actually you see yeah. from within they're not running themselves well at all Tyrion is the only one who's even halfway close to being able to notice that that's true mm. and and because of that he's like he kicks the shit out of the king and as well as that being a really really like uh, satisfying thing to see it's really powerful because it says, look, you know, you, you, you're really powerful, but you're not going to be here forever. You have to get better at doing this. And you have to, above all, learn not to be the petulant, spiteful, violent man who's never once thought about why he has the power that he has and what he should do with it. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Top to bottom this scene. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. And... um so Tyrion also has a go at Mandon Moore, this uh, this guy who was described as the wh- a white shadow before, because he was supposed to be protecting Sansa, who's disappeared. And um, yeah. he Mandon Moore isn't remotely bothered. He just says, "Well, you know, when the mob 
attacked, my first thought was to protect the king. And Cersei basically says, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah. We, but, but isn't, uh, that, isn't that weird, though? Because, I mean, Cersei's put a lot of effort into keeping Sansa as a hostage. And then, and yeah. like Tyrion says in this, if Sansa's dead, then the war's on. You know what I mean? They're never getting Jamie back. Yeah. Everything's over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it, sh- it shows just how shaken Cersei is by that. Yeah. She's just, she just relieved to get herself and her son away from that. Yeah, that's very true. By the way, why does she love Joffrey? I mean, I understand mothers love, etc., right? So on, you know, or conceptually, right? So probably I don't understand it at all. But. He's fucking. <laughs> you very fancied your own question. That's no, true, right. but like, but there's a surely there's a limit. I mean, look at what he does. Look at what he's like. He's a horrendous <laughs> human being. I don't know. I'm going to listen to this yeah. when I have kids of my own. I'm going to be like, you're a twat. But right now, <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, what? No, no, no. Just no. Why do you care this much about this person? <laughs> Now, um, Sansa does make it back, but only thanks to the Hound, who looks like the Hound went after her and saved her. Um, yeah. And again, it's just it's this strange relationship that these two characters have, mm. that when all this went to shit and all the rest of the Kingsguard's first thoughts were protect the king, even though the Hound is should be sort of Joffrey's most trusted um, sort of guard, mm. he's Joffrey's dog, mm. Um, his first thought has been to, to to get Sansa out of there. Interesting, isn't it? It is, and it shows his um, just his rejection of just sort of the rules again as well, doesn't it? He's a bit of a wild card behind. I don't care about your rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is what I think of your rule book. Um, but yeah, oh, C- Cersei actually gets off a really good put down here because. Um, they, the royal family tell the Kingsguard to go out into the street and tell the mob to calm the fuck down. Mm. And um, <laughs> which obviously, obviously, the Kingsguard aren't mad keen on that idea. And they're um, not really made for it either, are they? They're not the guys who go out and take tension out of a situation. Yeah. Like they, you and can't imagine pretty- walking out there and just being like, guys, guys, come on. Come on, can I sit down? Do you want a cigarette? Is <laughs> a cigarette. Let's just talk, all right? We're all friends. They're not yeah. the people who do and that. They're the people who go out and chop people into small chunks. Yeah, and that's kind of the point that um, Saboris makes, where he says, you know, where the sight of our white cloaks might enrage the mob mm. and, um, you know, should we take them off? And Cersei says, why don't you go out naked, um, all of you? Because it'll it'll remind the mob that you're men, which they might need reminding, considering how badly you fought five minutes ago. She's <laughs> <laughs> just a classic Cersei put down, isn't it? Really sharp tongued. Yeah, it is, and I think it's funny. Although, to be honest, she's not in the best position to be cracking out the kind of sardonic, withering, witty put downs at this point. <laughs> she's just no. she's just you know openly said that it's pretty good that they've lost their only bargaining chip in this war that's about to consume the country and then she's mm. all being like guys you're being really stupid and cowardly god good job i'm the only <laughs> one around here who can really think things through <laughs> um sl- slightly later on uh jacqueline bywater the, the head of the city watch comes to Tyrion to basically give him the the toll and the the, the death toll um, the High Septon has been killed. Mm. He's been effectively ripped apart by the mob as he screamed for mercy. Mm. Um, Tyrion reflects that, you know, the High Septons who are so fat they can hardly walk are, are never going to be very popular when the city's starving. 
Um, hmm. This 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 girl called Lollis, who um, who is the, the daughter of a noble woman at court, she um, is a shadow of her former self because she's been raped many times over by various people in the mob. Um, she's come, she's actually survived, but sort of as a husk, really. Yeah. Um, this guy called Aaron Santagar had his head bashed in with a rock. And um, Sir Preston Greenfield, who I think was my guy in on the Kingsguard, mm. um, I'll tell you what, you don't want to have my allegiance because it's like a death sentence. He has been killed. Um, and it turns out they took... It took the, the Kingsguard didn't find him for for ages, and it was because they were looking for someone in a white cloak, and he had been he'd been sort of killed in such a horrific way that he was just completely covered in his own blood, and yeah. was just this sort of guy drenched in dark red. Yeah, and um, it says so something, he, doesn't it? That well. Even though they're going out looking for somebody who could reasonably have been treated that way, there are so many defiled bodies in King's Landing right now that it's just like, oh, just a blood-soaked corpse, is it? Just a blood-soaked corpse. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, J- Jacqueline and, uh, and Tyrion discuss the politics of what's going on. He's it's, it's obviously quite shrewd, Jacqueline Bywater. He's, mm. he's drawn his gold cloaks from the community to, to sort of give a bit more cohesion and basically to keep hold of power. So it's not just a load of noblemen and people who don't understand the people in the street. He's tried to to, to, to draw some some people from the other side, if you like, over um, to, to give an element of policing by consent, if you like. And um, he, sa- he says that the, everybody hates the royal family, but they hate Tyrion the most, and Tyrion's quite upset at that because he feels like he's the only person who's actually on their side. But it's because um, all the rest of the royal family were in King's Landing during better times, yeah. you know, when people could eat. And this massive starvation has arrived pretty much at the same time as Tyrion, so he's getting the blame. Yeah, and um, and it's after having seen Tyrion really kind of play to the gallery, or the gallery full of readers, um, smacking Joffrey about, this is a real bump back down to earth, isn't it? And you're like, oh, no, mm. don't let this be failing. And it's a real achievement to make us care about, because what he's trying to do is maintain the Lannister monarchy. And yeah. nobody would, the Lannister monarchy is a horrendous thing, but you really don't want Tyrion to fail. You really want him to succeed, because yeah. it's him. yeah. That's what makes his character so interesting, isn't it? Mm. Whether you, you, you sort of conflict over what you want to happen regarding Tyrion. You like him, but you hate everything that he's basically fighting for. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another worrying, slightly slightly off off note here, where Bronn comes in and he's having a chat, and he just eats part of Tyrion's food off the table. And Tyrion's in such a bit, a bit of a mood, he, he normally lets these... Um, Sort of ins- this bits of insolence go with Bron, but this time he says, "You know, you shouldn't do that. I didn't give you leave to do it." And Bron just sort of brushes it off and says, well, "I don't look like you were eating it." And he obviously, th- th- there's not total respect there, is there? No, and, um, not at all. And also, Bron makes this sideways suggestion that Tommen would be a really a much better king to have, mm. and it, it basically says it wouldn't be a big problem if some accident maybe happened to Joffrey. And Tyrion again thinks, 
God, this guy's completely ruthless. Yeah. And it's just it's just a little note of warning because it's easy to, to, to go down the road of assuming that Bronn is this guy who's completely loyal to Tyrion, isn't it? But maybe it's not entirely the case. Yeah, that's true. Although he doesn't seem... He seems to have contempt for everybody. He doesn't seem to be, like, um, venal. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't seem to be malicious, just amoral. He's not immoral, he's amoral. You know what I mean? He's like, wherever the money yeah. is, that's where I am. And until there's money elsewhere, then I'm here, because who can be bothered looking elsewhere? Yeah. 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 Um, next up is a chapter about Davos. Um, and he is amongst the king's party, Stannis's party, which is meeting with Sir Courtney Penrose. Do you remember this guy who's uh, holding Storm's End and won't give it up? And there's this discussion. Sir Courtney's quite... He comes across in this short passage as quite likeable. He's quite witty and sharp and obviously stubborn. And he... Stannis offers very generous terms for giving up the castle. Basically, you can all go free mm. um, if you just give up the castle. And the only thing that's stopping him is that he won't give any guarantees about what's going to happen to Edric Storm, this bastard. Yeah. And Sir Courtney won't give up the castle until he gets guarantees about that. Yeah. And that just there's just no passing that. And it, it just shows the sacrifice that Sir Courtney's making here. Because him and all his household and all his men could walk free mm. for the sake, but they don't for the sake of this one boy. And I suppose yeah. it's just the sake of you know doing what's right. Yeah, I mean, is it is it just that? Is there something else that's important about this bastard that we don't know about? Possibly, because yeah. I mean, because uh, I. I think otherwise. I think this is bananas. This is crazy behaviour. I mean, I understand mm. that you don't want to surrender the castle mm. and that you think you've got a fairly good chance. And actually, I reckon what it is is that Penrose is thinking, I've got a pretty good crack at some mythology and possibly a lordship here, to be honest. I've got one of the least conquerable castles in the history of this nation. And yeah. I, I can totally ruin this guy's army, get him killed, take his army off him the same way he took Renly's army off him, and then I'm going to go to war. Yeah, You know, you can totally yeah. see him doing it, can't you? I think... Um yeah, he, he's. Um, I mean, he he offers um, it to be come down to single combat, doesn't he? Mm. I think because he knows that might be the only way out, and Stannis obviously doesn't take him up on it. But I think, yeah, Penrose is in a in a fairly strong position insofar as they probably Stannis probably will be able to take the castle, but not without making great losses. Mm. And it's whether he can afford to do that when he's still got to take King's Landing. That's true. And the rest of the nation and as well. He's got a really kind of brittle kind of power at this point, hasn't he? Like, yeah. he's not like Renly. You can yeah. leave large forces scattered across the landscape. He's got a lot yeah. of power at a point, but it is only at one point. You know? Yeah. So so, so this, this discussion goes badly. Penrose leaves uh, back to the castle with no sense of him giving it up. Um, Stannis has a chat with, with Davos about the situation and um, Davos is basically saying look just just leave this just go to King's Landing that's that's the main battle that's what we've got to win mm. and um, and Stannis basically says you know he Stannis is self aware enough to know that these lords don't like him or love him in the way they did Renly they're just following power and if he's defeated here Mm. Um, no matter how he tries to dress it up if he doesn't take this castle it looks like a defeat and that weakens his position and he's already in a quite vulnerable because he's only just taken these lords on mm. so he, he needs a victory yeah 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and um, and this didn't. None of this enamoured me anymore of Stannis. I think uh, you may have been right when we were talking before, and you were saying, you know, I kind of, I've gone straight over to the I hate Stannis crew, but I'm getting more and more evidence for it every day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just the way he acts yeah. here is is cold and arrogant and entitled and violent, and it's just yeah, yeah. I think he is quite shrewd, though. I can respect that. I mean, he's um. He, he says when Dallas says, you know, the, these lords around you are turncloaks. They, they, they've given up one lord for another mm. twice now. You know, they were loyal to King Robert until he died, and they were loyal to King Renly until he died. And now they're loyal to you, but who are they going to be loyal to tomorrow? Mm. And um, Stannis basically says, "Yeah, no, yeah. and um, I'm not going to forget this. But at the moment, I need to just keep them on my side." Mm. Um, but, and he's playing a bit of a game with them as well there. He says they've, they've been forgiven but not forgotten. Well, do you know what occurs to me here is that you, you, you find yourself landing more and more on the Stannis side. Is this your equivalent of me speaking up for Jamie Lannister? Ah, <laughs> uh, possibly, <laughs> like, yeah. like a few things back. Because honestly, he's, he's, he's caused through some means unknown and narratively unpleasing the, the horrible death of one of his enemies. I I don't know I don't know he's a wrong and Stannis I'm 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 coming down firmly on that side of things. I I think that my uh, mitigation for him is like I said last time just the fact that his his big mission is to defeat the Lannisters mm-hmm. and that 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 is that is pretty good as far as I'm concerned if it, if it comes down to a choice between the two but I agree the the means by which he's doing it especially this dodgy magic stuff is <laughs> is a very worrying development yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah he he talks about that he says about that when um when renly died the the moment renly died stannis says he was asleep mm. and having a nightmare and he basically says it wasn't me <laughs> which is um, a bit of a weird although, thing to feel the need to say isn't it well yeah because i think of, i think he obviously knows it kind of was <laughs> yeah and um He's also um, Davos says that he looks haggard. Yeah, um, he looks much much worse than he has done before, mm. and that could just be the rigors of of leading this this army, mm. or maybe like we said before, doing this kind of using this kind of magic could take a toll. Mm. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that that this is kind of achieved by impl- by implication instead of just having somebody sit down and do a big chunk of exposition you know we just yeah we see stannis's external appearance commented on by somebody who knows him really well and we hear a kind of out of character protestation of innocence from stannis because mm. he's not usually the kind of guy to go oh, it wasn't me you know because by saying that you're trying to recover your reputation he doesn't give a shit about his reputation he doesn't care whether everybody likes him or what um yeah so that he really feels the need to do this tells you something about it and I agree. Like, I, after this exchange, I was like, oh, so it was Stannis. Like, I didn't really know how, and that hasn't been explained. I didn't really know whether it would happen again, and that still irritates me. But um, I can see how it was, you know, I, somehow this whole, this whole plot has arrived in my head without anybody having to sit down and go through it. And that just kind of, that gives me a little bit of hope that George Martin is a skilled enough writer to make this kind of thing make sense. Because he hasn't just had something shocking happen and then five pages later have somebody turn up and go, interestingly, 
let me explain to you everything that's going to happen here, or everything that happened <laughs> yeah. here, you know, which is what a lesser writer would do. If this was Hollywood, you'd put that scene in and then yeah. there'd be five minutes of exposition. Yeah. Um, now, it, he suggests, Stannis, that what happened to Renly might be about to happen to Sir Courtney Penrose because um, Davos says, you know, we can't take this castle by force without losing a lot of men and we can't do it in single combat because it's too risky. Mm. Um, how how are we going to do it? And Stannis basically says, wait till the morning. You never know what's going to happen overnight. And he uses this phrase again, the night is dark and full of terrors. Mm. And that's a bit of a... Ch- it and becomes he gives creepier his- every time, doesn't it? Yeah. And he gives Stannis this mission to get Melisandre over to the castle mm. um, in the dead of night to, to sort of sneak her into the... Because Davos knows uh, s- sort of ways into the castle that other people don't because mm. if you remember way back when in the rebellion, Stannis was hold, holed up in Storm's End and was being under siege. And the only reason he survived was Davos was bringing in food through secret sort of routes. Mm. So he's got to get Melisandre there overnight. Um, and... I thought here's an interesting point. Mm. Um, you don't like Stannis, obviously. Yeah. Um, what about Davos? Is he in a similar way to Tyrion, someone you quite like but don't think is in the right sort of fighting for the right cause? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't dislike Stannis in the same way as I dislike the Lannisters, like because I really hate the Lannisters and I like Tyrion nonetheless. It's a little bit more nuanced yeah. with Stannis. I think Stannis is just a cock. And he's acting in a way which I think is dangerous. And so, um, yes, but it's more like I can see how people would go along with this. I think because of the kind of spiritual magical element, I'm more like, Mm. because that's the kind of thing that most people discount. You know, there's no denying that the Lannisters are evil because look at what they do. Um, you know, I can see somebody like Sir Davos being like, well, I don't know about this magic stuff, but I know where my honour is owed, and I'm going to go along with it. So there's, I have a lot yeah. a lot more sympathy for um, for Davos. Unfortunately, I also think Davos is a lot more... Um, he's clearly a badass, but a badass who's made a decision to go along with Stannis come what may. And, um, and he's kind of hoping that Stannis will snap out of this sort of religious phase. And... Yeah, I have a much stronger sense in the book of Stannis just getting pulled into it more and more and more and more. Like it's much more irrevocable in the book. In the TV series, yeah. Stannis is just a bit—he's—he's he's kind of hard, but he's pathetic. And so I'm like, mm. so I'm always like, oh, of course you're going to go along with it. You know, you're being conned. Whereas it seems in the book, Stannis is much more consciously going, I literally do not care what forces I'm fucking with here as long as I get the throne. Yeah. And so that yeah. makes so Davos in the TV series is a character who's like, well, I, uh, you know, he, he's the guy you're rooting for because you want him to turn his mate around. You know, I didn't hate mm. Stannis in the TV, TV series as much as I do in the book. Whereas in the book, yeah. I really dislike Stannis. And so Davos becomes this much more sort of tragic, doomed figure to me anyway. Like there's less, mm. there's less hope that he's going to turn it around and more certainty that he's just going to get killed somewhere. Probably in a horrible way, surrounded by people, you know, making cryptically creepy statements about the Lord of Light all wearing <laughs> red, you know? Yeah. It's worth pointing out, um, we don't know what happens to Davos either way. Um, I mean, you, Dave, you, you've only read as far as where we are yes. now. And, um, and um, you know, I don't really know either way. And even if I do know certain things later on, I, I don't 
say them. So anyway, <laughs> um, we get an interesting look into Melisandre uh, as well. She has this conversation with Davos as he's, as he's rowing her across the water to take her to the castle, and um, she asks Davos if he's if he's a good man or not, <laughs> and um, and and Davos kind of says, well, you know. All men, you know, no, no one's perfect, effectively. Yeah. And her response, Melisandre, um, her response is, uh, she says, you know, if you, if if an onion's got a bit of it that's black, mm. it's a rotten onion. Um, and men are the same. Mm. You either there's, you know, you're either good or you're, you're evil. It's black and white. Mm. And um, that's very much the basis of this um, of this fundamental fundamentalist red god religion isn't it it is very much and it makes me crazy i mean it makes me crazy because there's this kind of very i mean melisandre is obviously uh you know a kind of brooding very creepy presence but here she kind of adds arrogance and kind of openly manipulative speech to to kind of how she's interacted with people before i mean clearly she's been doing this before this is what she's like but i feel like we see something new from it here which is that Mm. like she kind of goes straight to the onion thing you know she tries to make a point that's personalized to him and makes him feel shit and and you know and speaks from this place of uh, you know apparent um authority to say that to him and um and and that's just that's that's a particularly kind of um uh insipid and insidious attack which i just hate to see but then adds to it the arrogance because out of these two characters obviously of course you already like Sir Davos you already hate Melisandre but Davos has something much closer to what i think you know, whenever you whenever you meet him in the real world people with a certain amount of wisdom actually say which is of course i'm not a good man you know, and people who might be otherwise yeah. really, really, you might look at them and say that there's a really good person, generally have the wisdom to acknowledge their faults and their failures, um, as mm. well as um, celebrating and trying to improve their successes. Whereas it's the it's the real, true, like bread in the bone wrongans who say no, I'm completely right, and I'm the definition of virtue. And it's it's mm. those people who end up with lots of people getting killed. And at the end of the day, those yeah. people are all about power. They're not about faith at all. So yeah. what you have here is Melisandre, you know, sketched as the worst kind of televangelist, I suppose. Or the worst kind yeah. of, um, you know, uh, crazed Abu Hamza type preacher, you know, who doesn't really mm. give a crap about their religion, absolutely cares about being as powerful as possible. Yeah, yeah. An, an extreme. Exactly. Absolutely, extreme. absolutely, yeah. And um, this, this chapter ends with, we find out how... Um, Renly died, I suppose, I assume, because um, she has a basically Melisandre gives birth to a shadow baby, and um, yeah, I mean, you used that phrase before. <laughs> let's just stop. Let's just dwell on that. And, a <laughs> and I was like, because I I had thought because in the TV series there aren't two, they don't. There's not this whole Storm's End piece where there's another shadow thing. There's just one thing where Melisandre and Stannis sleep together. So she has she has this baby, and you see it first of all, and you're like, "This is some creepy shit." And then she has the baby in the yeah. flickering light, and you're like, "This is some creepy shit." And then Renly gets killed. <laughs> Whereas this one, yeah, they've had yeah. this whole sequence with Renly where you've just been like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> for like for you know a good whatever ten percent of the book or whatever before you see it happen again, and it seems to have something to do with Melisandre being pregnant, um, yeah. quote unquote pregnant. Clearly, it doesn't take nine months. 
uh, I think that was a really good move in the book to, to kind of bring you into the uncertainty of it and experience everybody else's confusion at the first appearance of magic. Yeah. I think that was a really canny move. But this bit itself is still really... I have the same misgiving as we had last time, which is... So he like now I'm like, oh, God, he's done it again. So we really are in a place now where Stannis is just going to do this whenever he likes. Whenever there's somebody yeah. he wants to kill... He's going to shag Melisandre, have a shadow baby, and the shadow baby's going to go off and do some killing. And yeah, uh, it's not right. It do, it does seem like a massive problem. This doesn't it? Now to the to the whole narrative of the rest of the story. <laughs> Next up is a chapter about John. Mm. Um, this very short chapter. Basically, this guy Corin Halfhand arrives with his rangers. Um, he's been attacked on the way, but he's managed to to kill this particularly dangerous wildling. Um, called Alfin Crowkiller, um, cracking name, but uh, he he's killed him. Mm. You just get a feel. It's another example. You really get a feel for how much of a badass Corin Halfhand is. Yeah. Um, is this guy of an incredible reputation and um, yeah, a very dangerous but very good man to have on your side. I tell you what I liked um, was the the contrast later on in this when he sits down with Mormont between Mormont's kind of old man behind the wall, still a badass. But let's be clear about what's going to happen with my mulled wine, right? And, yeah, and that yeah. whole thing. And then he sits down and Mormont is, we have wine or ale. And you can almost hear him going, I would like to drink wine or ale. Would you like some? <laughs> and um, and uh, Halfhand just goes, no, 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 just a bit of water, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is the ultimate badass on the sharp end of it, isn't he? he? Is. You get the feeling that he, is, he spends half his life beyond the wall. Mm. And he knows, as, as, as good a commander as the old bear is, the Lord Commander, mm. it's, it's Corin Halfhand who really knows how to get things done in this part of the world. <laughs> yeah, he's... Um, I mean, I didn't think you could get more hardcore than, um, than uh, Lord Mormont. As it turns out, you can get more hardcore than Lord Mormont, <laughs> and it's Corin Halfhand. Yeah. Yeah, so so Corin Halfhand says he wants to take a scouting party out to the Frostfangs to find out what's going on, mm. and um, you know, uh, Mormont consents to this, and Corin chooses John to go with him. He wants he basically wants John and his direwolf with him. Yeah, is it mostly the wolf? Yeah, yeah. he's quite canny, isn't he, Corin? Though um, he 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 knows how to pick good, talented men around him. I think, mm. and he, he immediately selects John, and. It's it's funny here because um, Mormont says to John, you know, what do you want to do? It's up to you. Mm. And you can see that the old bear's hoping, although not expecting, that John's going to stay with him. Because remember, he's been grooming John for command here. And if John goes off on this on this mission, there's no guarantee he's coming back. Um, but obviously, John chooses to go with with the half instantly as well, despite him that. just coming around to this feeling of like maybe I'm never going to see my uncle Benjamin again. Like yeah. not for a second does he um, does he rethink it or anything? He's just like yes. You want to go off into yeah. it into a faceless wilderness, and you really get the sense that man, he was made for this job. If his first response is yes, I'll go. Um, yeah, amazing. And th- th- this is this is every t- teenager looking for glory's dream, though, isn't it? Going off on a on a real dangerous mission yeah. with th- this most badass guy in the world ever who everybody yeah. 
you know, all, all the Black Brothers speak about as almost this demigod because he's such a um, such a legendary character. Yeah, yeah. To, to to be part of his close group on this mission. Yeah. Of course John's going to say yeah, I suppose. Actually, yeah, that's very true, isn't it? Yeah. Next up is, is Tyrion again. And he's Tyrion's hears from Lancel, um, you know, this uh, this cousin, yeah. that Cersei's planning to take Tommen away, um, which Tyrion thinks this is a good idea, remove little Tommen from from King's Landing, so that if Joff- if King's Landing falls and Joffrey's killed, there's still another Lannister to rally behind who's got a claim to the throne. Mm-hmm. But T- Tyrion wants to take him into custody himself, so he sends um, he sends a party out to basically ambush um, the ambush Tommen's guards on the road mm. and and sort of seize him into custody for himself. Mm. Um, after that, Tyrion goes straight to Shay's. Um, a little careless, but... He later speaks to Varys, who brings news that Courtney Penrose, surprise, surprise, is dead. Um, it looks like a suicide. Oh, but does it? everybody who knows anything about him kind of knows better than yeah. that. I, I, something just occurred to me, just this second. The um, We're cheering on Jake and Hagar. We're hating on the Shadow Baby. But Jake and Hagar is one of these these here followers of the Red God, isn't he? Yeah. And and he fakes a suicide as well. That's one of the ways he could. So does he have the same power? I mean, presumably without having to shag a priestess. But like, is this how he's getting people dead? Possibly. Yeah. I, I, I thought you were going to go down the route of saying, you know, why are we all behind Jake and Hagar, who is almost a similar kind of ghost in the machine, yeah. um, but a completely against uh, Stannis's shadow of it. No, I, I think I, I think that's because Stannis is like one of the moving parts of this of the plot that we're all really highly bought into, and this his shadow stuff threatens to totally cut it to ribbons. Whereas Jake and Hagar yeah. is just a plot element in it, and I'm down with that. You know what I mean? He's not Jake and Hagar is not yeah. threatening stuff. Actually, <laughs> now this is interesting. If he had gone and killed Tywin Lannister, even I wouldn't be too pissed about that. Because it hasn't shown oh, magic, you know. It's not just going. Yeah. There's magic. It's kind of made him this this badass who I can well believe somehow sneaking into somewhere and and, and offing somebody as important as Tywin Lannister. I would kind of almost hope yeah. for him to do that. It hasn't shown total reversal of fortune based on magic, you know. Kind of mm. you know, and it's it's because that comes closer to the sort of really lazy, lazy ending. The kind of Deus Ex. This is what it is. It's Deus Ex Machina, isn't it? It's just yeah. Shazam! Everything's all right again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now with Courtney Penrose's death, um, Varys suspects that it's dark magic. Um, and, no shit. And Varys, yeah. Uh, well, and and Tyrion obviously thinks this is ridiculous because mm. uh, he's he's much more rational. And Varys tells this story about how he became a eunuch. Mm. In that he was um, captured by this guy who um, Varys was thought that he was going to have all these terrible things done to him. And in mm. the end, what happened was he was kind of right. They um, chopped off his, you know, his bits and uh, and fed him to a fire um, while chanting. And Varys remembers hearing a voice in the flames answer, and he says that's what keeps him awake at night. Yeah. So. I mean, T- Tyrion's response is maybe you just sort of dreamt it, yeah. or maybe you hallucinated it. And Varys basically says, you know, that's what I keep trying to tell myself, but the facts 
of the memory still remains. Yeah, and I think this is a really interesting, very sympathetic moment for Varys, where to this point he's been slimy and smarmy and so on. Um, but uh, but and there's this, this kind of undercurrent of mm, Tyrion kind of has to trust him, and maybe he's kind of he's got a kind of nuanced approach to things. This one is just some full-on sympathy because you understand where he comes from. And am I right in thinking this this revelation comes a lot later in the TV series? Yes, yeah. it um, it doesn't come till somewhere in the middle of series three, right, I think. Right. Yeah, because like because this is this is great stuff. It buys you into Varys as a character, and this is an astonishing achievement mm. for a character that you've really, really not had any reason to like. It explains why he yeah. is how he is, and allows him to really sort of like make the most of himself. Yeah, and 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 it brings more kind of texture to the Varys Tyrion relationship. Because we've had a lot of stuff from Tyrion mm. so far about like, oh, I don't know if I can trust this guy. Clearly, I can't trust this guy, but I have to rely on this guy. And it kind of brings in a sense of Varys is not just a kind of effete manipulator without any discernible motives. Suddenly, we have a sense mm. of something that he's passionate about. Now, it could be that this is all bollocks, right? It could be that this is just, just a, a, a yarn spun for Tyrion for a reason that we don't know. So I still don't completely trust him. But I do like that we've got this sense of a, of a motivation for Varys. Because that was one of the problems with, yeah. with with the small council, was that all of them shat over um, Ned Stark, and you never really knew why. Yeah, yeah, and in that sense of motivation as well, um, it's it gives Varys a, a motivation to keep the Lannisters on the throne, uh, rather than, you know, because you could ask before this point, what stops Varys from just selling his services to the highest bidder mm. and if Varys believes that Stannis is in league with this weird kind of brutal magic which has affected him before mm. he's going to do everything he can to keep that kind of person off the throne mm. yeah 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 I mean I think that's uh, and it makes him very sympathetic I think it's an incredible achievement you know mm. the other thing that happens in this chapter Tyrion decides to move Shay to the castle for her own safety because of what's happened with the mob. And she is not happy with that. She doesn't want to serve in the kitchens or be a serving girl or anything like that. They end up having this kind of argument. Shay still speaks very, um, you know, deferently to, um, to to Tyrion, but but it is she is being deliberately awkward. Mm. And she goes too far when she says... Tyrion speaks about Tyrion's dad and she asks if if Tywin mistakes Tyrion for a, a bearded child and at this point Tyrion actually um, smacks her in the face um, yeah. and he, sa- he says um, basically never, you know, never not not you, never never mock me, not you not to me and he's um, he's basically really hurt by the fact that she would say something like that the kind of thing that he hears every day from other people and he immediately feels bad about mm. it and apologises, but it's just that it just shows that kind of weakness in Tyrion and, and that um, I don't know that uh, insecurity. What do you think? What did you think about this conversation and about Shay's part in it? Well, I think it's it was really good way of developing Shay as a character because she's um, uh, she's kind of we've kind of gone along with her because of what Tyrion sees in her. Because again, we're so bought into Tyrion, but we don't we don't really have a sense of what she's actually like 
because I mean because she's a prostitute and because Tyrion himself is like kind of I don't know if she tells me the truth or whatever um, but she mm. definitely seems to have some kind of regard for him you know like she I don't I don't think she's just in this for the money um, and that's what makes this scene really heartbreaking because I think part of what you see is part of why Tyrion hits her um, is his own fear you know he's afraid of mm. losing her and she's talking in such yeah. a way as that she doesn't understand that he can't lose her. It's a very selfish thing that he does, you know, out mm. of what he would call love. It's very selfish and very violent. And uh, and I thought it was interesting that even though he's quite a sympathetic character, he, he kind of doesn't apologize. He says, well, we both made some mistakes. And it's like, no, you punched her. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that, that's, not, that's not faults on both sides. That's not how it is at all. <laughs> Um, but uh, like yeah but I thought it really deepened Shay's character because she has these quite um, nuanced responses where you can kind of you can you can almost see the wheels turning behind her eyes and and you have Mm. a sense that she is a very complicated person Um, and you don't really know what the upshot of this conversation is going to be in fact I have a sense that the upshot of this conversation is going (laughs) to not be clear for a long time yeah Um, next up is oh the other thing the thing that comes out of the conversation with Varys and Tyrion Mm. um, beyond the the issue with is um, is Stannis using black magic or not is that he's on the way now he's taken Storm's End and he's coming for King's Landing Mm. so you know any preparations that Tyrion's trying to make Mm. to get the city ready to defend itself is going to have to hurry along because this battle's coming to King's Landing yeah 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 Next up is uh, Catelyn again. Mm. Um, it starts with Edmure saying to Catelyn, tell father I've gone to make him proud. He is um, astride his horse and he's off to battle. And he's and loving it, isn't he? Ca- tell father yeah. I'll make him proud and the strings swell. You can just see it in his head. He's, he's directing the whole movie in his head as he gallops forth into the sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Catelyn's really worried. She doesn't think much of Edmure, does she? Because no. she thinks he is going to lose this. Well, and she's his um, big sister. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I have a sense here that she's really letting out a lot of the tension that she's felt about the rest of her family, who she has to be kind of believe in. She's not really obliged to believe mm. in her little brother in the same way as she is in her kids. Yeah. So she's all coming out on him. It's like, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. do this. Um, we, we see bits and pieces of this battle now again. Um, basically, from from where Catelyn is in River Room, she can see the closest ford, mm. which is which is being defended by the Malisters. Remember the Malisters? They're the guys who are from Seaguard, mm. um, so they're probably the the toughest of the River Lords, mm. and um, <clears throat> they put up a really good fight here, don't they? They yeah. they repel the uh, they repel the Lannisters a number of different a number of times, and. Um, She's, when she sees this, she starts to doubt herself, Catelyn, and thinks, well, maybe Edmure has made a good choice here. Yeah. You know, seems to be winning the battle. Yeah. Um, and in the end, she gets this letter from Edmure um, shortly afterwards. Um, and, yeah, Ed, you know, it's, it's chalk one up for the, finally, chalk one up for the Riverlords, because uh, Edmure is holding the fords. Um, they, they've even thrown back the mountain, um, yeah, he, he's he's come he's come closest to getting across, but um, he's, Edmure's used his sort of reserve knights, and they've just managed to to fend him off. And the mountain sort of 
headed back with his tail between his legs um, and with various wounds. And um, and Catelyn is obviously happy that the uh, the battle's gone in, in favour of her brother. Mm. But also she, she has this sense of dread and it ends this chapter with her thinking, if we're winning, why am I so afraid? Yeah, and I think this is a sense of, of, of Catelyn just, this is her life now. She is afraid. I think, you know, mm. she's been pitched into with a kind of a unique a unique situation she's been pitched into this war because on the one hand, um, she's high up enough to see how arbitrary most of it is and how cruel it can mm. be and how everything can turn in an instant. But she's also close enough to the people fighting it that basically everybody she cares about is being swallowed by this war and um, all of her kids, all of everybody, right? And it's like, it's, yeah, it's just this really interesting and, and unique perspective that she has, and it's killing her. Next up is is Bran. Oh, dear, Dave. Oh, Bran. Bran. It starts off, he's having one of these wolf dreams. He's trapped in the godswood. That's where they've, they've effectively chained up um, Summer and Shaggy I Dog. I flipping loved this sequence. I thought it was such a great way to trade up to go from he's having weird dreams to these dreams are probably real to a whole sequence from the the perspective of a wolf. I just thought this yeah. was fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um, now, to put in a bit of context, Sir, Sir Roderick has emptied Winterfell and he's headed off to Torrens Square to break this siege which Dagmar's holding. Mm. And um, Bran wakes up afraid and he, he shouts for Hodor to come in, you know, to, 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 to let him know what's going on. He feels something's wrong. And um, mm. the guy who enters, the second guy who enters the room is Theon. Uh. And um, this is it. This is the ultimate betrayal, isn't it? Theon has, has scaled the walls of Winterfell and taken the castle unawares. The sea has come. The sea has come, yeah. Mm. Oh, man. I mean, it's been clear that Theon has been a bastard. Like, he's gone from being a sort of... Um, Flybionite kind of trust fund gapyard type kid to being, yeah. you know, to being an utterly, utterly immoral character, and you knew, you kind of knew he was coming in this direction. But I'm amazed, and it, I'm amazed that it's played this way. You just have a kid waking up, and it's already happened. But actually, I think it's genius because it means that mm. your experience of this is just, oh fuck. And it's a gut punch because you've had, yeah. you, I mean, there's a bit of your head because you're still bought into the Starks as a family. And there's a bit of your head that's watched Ned die and Arya get lost and Sansa be held captive and Caitlin start to disintegrate under the pressure of warfare. But Bran's up north and Winterfell. And now he's not. And it's just a totally <sighs> yeah. rootless thing, suddenly. Yeah, it is because um, with the Starks, for all the all the difficulties that they've had and all the terrible things that have happened Winterfell is this just one island of safety isn't yeah. it and it's you know um, Mace, uh, Bran gets told he has to um, sort of surrender and Maester Lewin comes in and he's got this big gash on his head and he's blooded yeah. and it's just really hard to read because it's this one place where you thought the Starks were going to be safe mm. and and the, the walls come right onto their doorstep and now. it's fallen to this kid who was part of their household yeah, yeah. and uh, there's th- these these people who obviously Georgian dreamed of dying Alebelly was uh, was on the uh, on the on the gate and he was he was killed there and it's in, I just wonder Alebelly is just one of these 
you know, generic guards. But Sir Roderick's taken pretty much everybody down to to break the siege. And I wonder if I could imagine Alebelly sort of getting out of it because he's so terrified of being killed because he's going because they're marching towards the sea. Mm. And him thinking that he might be safe if he stays in Winterfell, and obviously that's just the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mick, Micken, who's the armourer, is also killed, and he is killed in the throne room slightly later on when Theon is now telling everybody what's what at Winterfell, <laughs> and 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 Mick, Micken won't um, won't sort of stop shouting at um, at Theon and calling him what he is, you know, a turncloak and. Uh, in the end, he's killed by one of the Ironmen for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then immediately after that, uh, Theon takes these... Um, he, he sort of asks people to come on over onto his side and Reek, this, uh, this, you know, the, the guy who was the bastard of Bolton's little plaything or servant, <laughs> he joins Theon straight away. Yeah. And uh, Osha does as well and Bran's particularly hurt at that because he, he considered Osha they've had a couple of chats haven't yeah, they in the Godswood had a couple of moments and he considered her yeah he considered her to be a friend and she's gone straight instantly over. as and well it's, just, it's that, just like who are you kid I'm off yeah it's just another kick in the teeth to Bran yeah, isn't it yeah, yeah. and and there's a, there's a sense of foreboding with, with Reek going over because of this dream that Jojen's had of Reek killing the two kids yeah so you're thinking that's moving much more closely to happening yeah, yeah um we see hodor is beaten up as well oh, which again, see, it's, just, just, it's just it's just <laughs> heartbreaking isn't it it's just a series of gut punches this chapter isn't yeah it? and it just and and all del- there's just something like cold about it yeah. not kind of not frightening but just like oh man I mean, and this is one of the. This is this is kind of like the death of Ned Stark in a way, where it's just like George Martin going, "All of these people that you cared about, ha, hack, slash, kill, kill, chunk." <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. just you know, there's no remorse whatsoever. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think I think yeah, Winterfell itself is almost a character, isn't it? And it feels like Winterfell has effectively been thrown in a dungeon, like Ned was now. Yeah. And, um, ah, and it's just, yeah, that. It's, I think that's really it's good. pretty galling. The one thing, this this differs from the series. I wonder if we could talk about this briefly. This differs from the series. Mm. Um, there's one uh, light at the end of the tunnel or silver lining to this cloud in this chapter, mm. and it's good old Sir Roderick. Because in the series, Sir Roderick is beheaded in front of Bran at this point in the courtyard. Yeah. And I read this, and to be and, honest, I read this all the way through going, oh, this is going to happen, This is, I don't want it to happen, I don't want it to happen. Almost forgetting that Sir Roderick is fucking miles away. I'm still like, he's going to bring him back, he's going to have him gallop back into the yard, <laughs> and he's going to die, he's going to die, Sir Roderick's going to die. So I actually got to the end of this, there was a weird little nugget of happiness at the end of it for me, so I was like, Sir Roderick's still alive! <laughs> the whiskers, man, he's, he's still, still going, going. The whiskers shall not fall. Yeah, and also in in the series, obviously when Sir Roderick is beheaded there, that's um that's it as well. Theon has the castle mm. and it's over. And the thing is, um, here we've got a bit of hope because, um, yeah, there's been this diversion and Winterfell's emptied its best men, mm. but they're still in the field. Yeah, they're trying to break the siege of Riverrun. Yeah. Uh, sorry, they're trying to break the siege of Torrens Square. Yeah. So. You know, there's still this army that can possibly come back and take the castle. So it's not all hope isn't completely lost 
So we shall see, because it does diverge. The book, the book is diverging it does, it from the pretty, series. It's pretty quite considerably at a number of points here. So I don't know, does that give me more hope or less hope? <laughs> Who knows? So we, should we move on to Aya? Yes. Um, she uh, start, This chapter starts, she's visiting Hot Pie in the kitchens at Harren Hall. Um, it seems that like Hot Pie is quite good at sort of making hot pies. Cooking. And, yeah, surprisingly <laughs> enough. Um, he's quite happy where he is. Um, th- these new prisoners have, are being brought into the castle. Um, Vargo Hoat, who's the leader of these brave companions, or bloody mummers, they've got two names depending on who's talking about them. <laughs> it's this group of um, sort of savage sellswords who are working for Tywin oh, Lannister. They're horrible, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. Vargo Hoat's a weird character because he speaks with a lisp. And it's 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 actually in the text as a lisp, and is this mixture of ridiculous character and terrifying brute. Um, yeah. So you know when someone speaks out of turn in this point, he screams silence, and um, <laughs> it's really weird. It's like he's like a Bond villain, isn't it? it? Yeah, really actually, strange. that's absolutely what he is, isn't it? Like just the <laughs> silence, silence. <laughs> you may have noticed, Mister Bond. That I have a slight problem. <laughs> However, yeah. you will suffer for it! <laughs> uh, one of the new prisoners... It looks like um, a load of um, Rob's men have been captured here. I'm not quite sure how it's happened. Mm. Um, but Robert Glover, Glover is one of them. He's one of the, mo- one of the most important lords. Mm. And also one of the Karstarks. There's a, there's a guy with a white son, which is the banner of the Karstarks. Mm. So one of those has been captured as well. Uh. And... Um, so it's quite interesting where that's going to go. Yeah. And uh, it's in, I thought it was interesting here that I is basically having the run of the castle. And it's because the Lannisters have got the same problem as the Starks have. Hmm. In that now, now that Tywin's headed off with his army, there's just no one left to really man the castle. Yeah. And it's the same as what's happened in Winterfell, where basically when you take your force out, you need you need every strong man to be part of your your army, yeah. but it just means there's always there are always these extremely weak castles just remaining, which are held by a skeleton crew of guards. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Things are falling apart, and this is what I I wants to use to her advantage. She wants to now she sees these new groups of prisoners coming in. Mm. She wants to break them out. Mm. She 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 asks Gendry to help, and he isn't interested at all. He has a one or two home truths for her actually, um, because. He's quite happy where he is now, working in this forge. Yeah. And he explains that he doesn't really care who his lord is as long as he's treated fairly well. And why should he? And I is making the point, you know, let's get the let's let's have the Starks, let's free the Starks because I'm one of them. Mm. And Gendry's basically saying, you know, that doesn't matter to me. And there's no, you know, if Gendry was part of this plan, there's no guarantee that he'd survive it. You know. Why would he risk everything to to sort of to 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 change to change the boss? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when the boss isn't that bad, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because Gendry's not. I mean, there's George Martin has a lot of sympathy for the kind of little people, if for want of a better word, in his stories. You know, the people who aren't highborn and don't really care about politics. But he does tend to write mm. them as quite simplistic, often quite stupid characters. Um, whereas Gendry's really sharp and really smart and witty and, and matches Arya kind of, you know, word for word and and and, uh, and that. But um, but he's got a fundamentally kind of, uh, you know, commoner kind of approach in this world, which makes a lot of sense. He's never going to be the lord of anywhere, so why would he try? 
Um, you yeah. know, he, what he wants is food. Food is hard enough to come by. Yeah. And you have this sense of it being a real tragedy, as well as the fact that he's he's one of Robert's bastards. So, it, you know, it's clear that in other circumstances he'd be this sort of, you know, he could, he could do what other bastards have done and be kind of a significant power force. He's clearly smart enough for it, but he's just not in that position. So while Gendry works as a an apprentice blacksmith, um, we have people like, um, well, we had Bruce Bolton's bastard running around the place, you know, marrying elderly women and being horrible to them and stuff like that, you know. And it's just such a, the wrong bastards have gone to the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, so there's no help for Arya there. Yeah. She um, goes back to her quarters and starts to pray. Mm. Um, and uh, the gods don't answer, but Jaken Hagardus, <laughs> he turns up, and um, she asks Jaken to um, to help her free these prisoners. And he says, he he looks at her. It says in the text pitilessly, and says, "No, that's not what that's not what I'm. I've offered you. I've offered you three deaths." Mm. And he's he's like. It's very. It's, it's, this is very Red God, isn't yeah. it? It's like Melisandre and Stannis, as far as no, this is just how it is, and you know the, the emotions don't really come into it. This is just what what I'm doing because this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And Arya actually gets the drop on him by um, she names Jake and Hagar as the final person hey. for him to kill. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, and uh, he says, I, "I love this exchange. I love the way Jake and Hagar speaks. And there's a there's a humour to him, yeah. isn't there? Even though there's this pitilessness, yeah. um, there's real humour in this relationship between Arya and Jake. Mm. And um, <laughs> she, he says, "Well, would you change the name if I helped you?" And she says, "That's yeah. That's basically what I'm going to do." So he calls her evil child, <laughs> almost with a smile, I yeah. think. Yeah, and, there um, is a genuine it's to... banter almost, isn't it? But banter with his life. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And and they hatch this plan, which which basically involves them taking a lot of broth down to the guards and chucking it on them. Um, they do that with the help of Biter and Rorge, you know, the two guys who were chained up with Jake yeah. and, um, back, back way back when. i tell you what's interesting, is that... Earlier on in this chapter, I is sort of thinking, "Oh God, what if Jaken's a demon, or and what if he's just called up these, you know, Rorge and Biter? They're dangerous. What if they're just sort of wraiths almost?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, mm. so this is Arya getting carried away." And then when he has to do this job, it's them he turns to, and it's like, "Hang on a minute, was she on yeah. something there?" <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? Are these two just two ruthless maniacs who? recognize power and do what Jaken says because he's obviously very very dangerous and more dangerous than they are mm. or are they literally some something kind of something more than that it's a good question we don't yeah, really know yeah, do absolutely. It? so they they free the prisoners and the starks actually take the castle with the help of um the brave companions who switch sides very quickly mm-hmm. um because they see which way the wind's blowing yeah, it's fucking instant isn't it mm once the battle's done and the castle and Harrenhal's taken for the Starks, big win for the Starks, by the way, massive win for the Starks. There, <laughs> um, J- Jaken uh, says to says to Arya that the debt's been repaid, mm. and he leaves. And before he leaves, he he draws his hand down his face, and his face changes. 
which if you're in, in any doubt about whether there's any supernatural element to Jake and then this is obviously proof of it I I says how do you do it how do you do yeah. that and he says if you with enough practice you can do it in the same way you could change your name um, wow. just because just messing with perception so is this is and, this magic then is it is this sort of is the Darren like, Brown of uh, of, um, of Westeros <laughs> yeah, it seems it's not like, really yeah. not really magic he's just screwing with people's heads Mm. But um, Aya says, "Could I learn to do it myself?" And he says, "He says that she can, but she's got to go with him, and she can't because she's she needs you know she still feels this pull of her family more, yeah. and she wants to get back to Winterfell. So as a sort of halfway house, Jaken gives her this coin yeah. and says, "If you give it to a to anybody and and say these words, Valamagulis, they'll take you to where you need to go." Now, here is a thing. For all that that's, like, interesting and, a, like, you know, a very cool little narrative seed to plant and, you know, maybe it will come come forth in two books' time, whatever. But um, I'm not certain I would do that. I've been given by this guy who, fair enough, Arya doesn't know this, but we do, serves a god who has been shown to be a wrong'un if ever there was a wrong'un, Right. Gives us some cryptic magic words to say as magic is returning to the world. Screws with his face a little bit and then walks off. I'm fairly certain I'd be like, as interesting as this would be from a narrative standpoint, I'm not going anywhere fucking near this coin again. Just like throw it in the privy or whatever. Like I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the, the, the thing is, A, she doesn't know much about the Red God as we mm. do. And B, I think we just got to remember again, she's a child yeah, and... Yeah. Um, and here's this this adult who's helped her in a obviously very macabre way, but he's helped her when nobody else has, and you know she wants to. She, I suppose she trusts him because of that, mm. and it's all about this trust, isn't it, with with children as well? So, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she does take him up on the offer. Yeah. Oh uh, well, yeah. I mean, and that makes a lot of sense. It's certainly, it would be totally pointless to write a book with a, with a, a hook like this and then not end up using it, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> I think yeah. probably everybody reading the book is quite happy that I'm not writing it. Um, but it's still, yeah, I question the wisdom of it. Still, nonetheless. The final thing here is, um, Roose Bolton arrives to to take command of Harrenhal, yeah. and. Um, the old commander, Amory Locke, do you remember yeah. him? Um, he's the guy who killed Yorin mm. um, and has been behind all manner of terrible acts. He gets his comeuppance because, unfortunately for Sir Amory, he's um, just fallen into the hands of the most ruthless of all the of all of his enemies. You say that um, with a certain amount of relish, Matt, I notice. You're really getting <laughs> into this. God, what have I done in pushing you into being with the Bolton house? <laughs> um, and Roos uh, decides to throw Amory Locke naked to a bear. <laughs> now, what I would love there is if Amory Locke turned out to be into it. If he just landed in the pit naked and just went, you look good, we should talk. <laughs> Did the Matrix thing, which went, <laughs> and started a kung fu fight. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> so, so Roos is here and he's about to, he's about to make things right um, what? in the most... Violent way. Possible. He's about to make things. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Are we not at a point yet where what Roose Bolton does is by definition wrong? 
No, he's fighting for the Starks. He's a ruthless man for ruthless times. Ah, uh, all right, okay, okay. He does have a flayed um, man for his sigil, though. I'm not letting go of that. Yeah, well, like we've said before, like like the Lannisters have the mountain and people like mm. that. Rob needs people who can get yeah, shit done. But you, and, you um, hate the Lannisters Ruth for Bolton's having the nasty enough. The mountain, don't you like? Yeah, but if you know, if if um if if your enemy pulls out you know a super weapon, you need to have your own, or else you're going to lose. <laughs> Well, I that's true. I'm not certain I would describe a total bastard as a super weapon, though. Dragons, that's a super <laughs> weapon. It seems to me in this world, total bastards are ten a penny. Yeah. I just think, I'll tell you what, honestly, not just because we're doing this daft sort of, see, um, this sort of plead, pledge your alliance yeah. thing, um, I do quite like Roose Bolton um, at this point in the book because he is... He like there, there is a serious point to what the sort of the getting shit done kind of character here around Rob because you like I like Rob mm. and I want him to succeed, yeah. but when people like Edmure are going up against Tyrion Lannister, I'm thinking I just I read the whole chapter in fear because I think he's he's not good enough, um, and he needs a bit of luck to get it to, to get things done, mm. and when you, when Roose Bolton comes in to do something for Rob, you can kind of believe that it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. Um, but, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know. I, I still, as with every scene in this book, I just end up kind of being... You just, you just got a problem with flaying. Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> you know, I've got a problem with flaying. That's, I'm not going to apologise for that. And no matter what arguments are put around it, I still have, mo- like mostly in every scene in this entire book, after the death of Ned Stark, I just have a sense of foreboding is my primary emotional response to everything. <laughs> you make the arguments all you like. He flays people and this is a fucked up book. I'm not sticking around. Yeah, actually, it's a good point. Since Ned's died, I can't remember you at any point over the last few hours of doing this saying, oh, that's good news, isn't it? Because there's <laughs> been no fucking on good news. <laughs> <laughs> You're always guarded. That's true. He's hurt me. I've been hurt once. I'm not going back again. In fact, actually, it's kind of like Catelyn, where even successes, like, th- there's a sense of, oh, but something bad's going to happen That's true. Anyway. My word. The character <laughs> I most like in this book is Catelyn. That's quite depressing. <laughs> Interestingly, actually, there's, I, I did, I caved, I did one of those internet quizzes, there's one going around, which Game of Thrones character are you? Brilliantly, oh, yeah. it said I was Tyrion. Oh, I got, t- I got Tyrion. Tyrion. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah, this is why we're so alongside somebody with such an utterly hateful family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I do think those quizzes are complete bullshit. Yeah, no, well, they are nonsense because um, because I'm nothing like Tyrion. I've never had anybody killed. Right. Okay. Let's wrap this up because it's the the last chapter now, and it's an absolute beast. It's we're back with Daenerys, and she's decided to travel to the House of the Dead. And it's not really. It's no. the, House of, the House of the. No, Undying. it's better name though, in it because it's certainly not full of people <laughs> who don't die. <laughs> That yeah. seems clear to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so her guard, her basically, her guards, like um, the her, what are they called, blood riders, effectively her blood riders, yeah. um, are saying, "Don't go in because this is a dangerous place." And um, Daenerys has been told she has to go in alone, and she accepts that. She even says to Sejuri that he can't accompany her. Yeah. And Pi- Piat Pri, the warlock, says, "When you go into this place." Um, always take the right-hand door and never go down, mm. always go mm. up, which is a bit weird. Um, this place is, it just seems, it, it's not a particularly impressive-looking structure. Mm. It's just a, 
a little um just a room um yeah. you know, like a a low building sort of tumble down um, stone with, looking with a black thing. roof yeah, yeah. Um, but in this sort of sh- in the shade of all these trees outside i got a real sense of what this place was like straight away from mm. from the way it was described mm-hmm. um Daenerys has to drink some of this shade of the evening, um, which is the stuff that the warlocks drink to to turn their lips blue. Is, is and it, it, ta- now? it tastes of everything. Yeah, it tastes of everything. Yeah, it's a really weird. In the, you get a sense that yeah, this is we are we are through the looking glass. This is really weird shit going on. Now. Yeah, and it only gets weirder. So so we move in. She moves into this place, and there are a series of doors in front of her. Now let's just say before we start. As far as I'm concerned, this is Streets of Head of Head to do it in the series, because it's just this is so this is so creepy and just so fantastic and and awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, she goes in and she sees through these various doors, there are different things going on, often horrific. Um, there's one of it's this some woman effectively being eaten alive by little dwarves, yeah. isn't there? Um, and then there's this room which is. Um, it's basically this feast, but it's just full of corpses, and there's a dead man at the head of it with the head of a wolf. Um, and she see that's another thing she sees. Uh, she sees her own house in Bravos, where she used to live when she when she was first in exile with a brother. Yeah. And there's this old man who used to look after her, after her, and asks her to come in. And she realizes that he's been dead a long time, so she she avoids that yeah, temptation. Yeah, yeah. Each one of these things are supposed to prick her curiosity or just tempt her in other ways to, to get her into the rooms. And the test is, can she avoid them? Hmm. Uh, um, do you know what's just occurred to me? This is very, very, very similar to... Have you seen um, The World's End? The the uh, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg movie? No. Oh, have you not? Oh, I won't ruin it for you then. But there's a book. Okay. But there's, a, there's there's just a, it's not it's, or anybody else it's, listening. It's, it's it's not a big spoiler. Um, there's just a little bit of one of these rooms, which is very reminiscent of something that happens in that film. And I'd only oh. just noticed it when you said it. Just that. anyway, sorry. Carry on. Um, she sees the she actually sees the Iron Throne room, mm. and there's this there's this discussion. I mean, a lot of this it's hard to talk about um, from my point of view because I, I, we can't really talk about whether these are premonitions or not yeah um but anyway she she's moving through all these places and she f- realizes that the torches behind her the light behind her is is flickering out and each torch is is, is going out like coming towards yeah. her so there's something behind her effectively chasing her mm. now so she can't she can't turn back yeah um it looks like she's managed to find the exit where through one of the doors she sees outside and Piat Priest standing there saying, I'm, I'm quite su- I'm surprised that you got through so quickly. Yeah. And um, she realises, luckily, I think with the help of one of her dragons, that it's a trick. Yeah. And um, he sort of, Piat Priest calls after her and as he's shouting after her, she's running away, he, he turns into some kind of worm-like monster. So it's obviously, that was, it, was, it was some kind of monster trying to tempt her into that room. Yeah. And which is quite a trick, uh, isn't it, to 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 distinguish between Piat Pri, not the most cuddly of characters himself, and a monster. Mm. One might say that was a purely semantic difference. Yeah, yeah. The, the final test of these there's this room full of wizards, um, like this nice looking warm room. 
where she's invited into, she said, you know, you've, you've found us finally, the Undying. Come and, you know, we want to give you this information. Mm. And I was thinking, all the way through this, I was thinking, which door should you choose? Yeah. Should she should she take that up? Should she? And I got it right up until here, and I thought here, yeah, that looks about right. Mm. And luckily, um, she doesn't take that because it's it's the final trick, isn't it? And in the end, there's another secret door on the right which she goes through mm. to get to the real um, uh, undying creatures. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you want to say anything about the journey towards that before we get into that? I agree with you. It's done better here than it is in the um, in the TV series, and I liked like a lot of the sort of cryptic hints. Like, there's a moment um, where uh, at one point somebody says, "You know, there is a song of ice and fire," and um, and and you kind of think, "Oh, this is interesting." Um, but it's all just beyond your grasp, and I can't quite decide whether this was really great, cryptic, interesting storytelling that kind of pulls you in and gives you tantalising hints and stuff, or if it was just like, George, man the fuck up and give me some plot, would you please? <laughs> like, I really couldn't decide whether I was infuriated or fascinated by it. It'd be interesting reading, reading it again once we've finished the whole seven books, won't it? And seeing what has come to pass and what's been read as what. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wait for that. But like right now, it's all too kind of diffuse. I mean, so there's clearly some things that are important. Like they talk about, at one point they say there will be three dragons and there seems to be a scene where there's a flashback to a previous king. Is it Aegon the Conqueror mm. being named and he will conquer something? I, you know, I'm not up on the mythology terribly well, so it was a bit like, oh, I guess that could make sense. Um, yeah. But... Some of these scenes do seem to be intended to to give us hints about the past of this world, and you know I'm I'm down with that, but they are all a bit like kind of. I think writing this kind of thing is really difficult because if you're not careful, you just infuriate your audience, and it just leads to them being like kind of. I, I acknowledge that if I put in enough effort, there's probably something in there, but I reckon no matter how much effort I put in, you're always going to make it more <laughs> obtuse than it is clear yeah. and at that point I'm like oh, I'm going to have to put in too much effort to get my head around this mythology fuck it I'll just wait for you to tell me <laughs> and, yeah. and maybe you know I'm clearly I'm not a very good reader but um, but that's kind of how I feel about it now the, the next part in here with the um, with the, the the sort of the undying as they're known this is a fantastic set piece with it's this room in this sickly blue light and there are just these creatures sitting around a table yeah these ancient creatures, and on the middle of the table, floating in the air, is this blue, like sickly blue heart, which is still alive and beating. Yeah. And Daenerys sits down with them to um, to hear what they have to say. And again, we've, we have more riddles here. There are these predictions where they say uh, three fires you must light: uh, one for life, one for death, one for love. Three mounts you must ride, one to bed, one to dread, one to love. And three treasons you'll know, uh, one for blood, one for gold, and one for love. At, at which point, <laughs> at which point, my kind of level of patience with this sort of kind of cryptic nonsense really reaches an all-time low. And I'm just like, you chose those words because they rhyme. You're not really telling me anything at all. I see through you, George Martin. I see through you. Yeah, it, it, that... Yeah, it's the point where these predictions are so diffuse, like you said now, which they don't make any sense at all. I think what saves it is the fact that it's just such a 
creepy situation that she's in and the descriptions of these things around her and the way they're whispering. And then suddenly she almost falls into this procession of visions, some of which have happened and some of which we assume are yet to be and some of which she mustn't have even seen in the past. Um, And it's just vision after vision after vision after vision of things that are happening. And all this time... The 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 undying creatures are sort of getting closer to her and sort of pulling on her on her on her clothes and I think one of them starts to bite her. Bite, no, worse than um, that, bites her eye. Oh yeah, that's it. It's yeah. horrible. It is absolutely horrible. Yeah, and the only the only thing that saves her is one of her dragons, Drogon, um, starts <laughs> regulating, breathing <laughs> fire all over the place, and um, and suddenly. The undying are aflame, and she can escape. And she she sprints out into the light. She finally does make it out of there. Mm. And this little pirate pri- pre guy, the warlock, is dancing around, shouting stuff in um in a unknown tongue yeah. with a knife out, and is about to stab her yeah. when her sort of guards manage to stop him and subdue yeah. him. And uh, and then Sajora picks her up, and that's that's where we end the chapter. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and um, it's it's better than TV series, isn't it? Um, TV series. Oh yeah, massively so. Yeah. But but let me tell you this, right? I have heard of a practice in certain forms of media, certain ways of doing things, where like um, hmm. the government of the day will kind of hijack popular media and kind of try and put their message into it. Um, and I just had a wonderful, wonderful image of this happening in sort of this book being written about 10 years earlier and kind of so like late 1980s um, America, you know, kind of, you know, the moral majority kind of era and this whole scene going on and then like like the book kind of slowing down and there being a cutout and, and Daenerys turning to the reader and saying, hi, I'm Daenerys Targaryen. You've seen this whole scene and now I'd just like to take a moment to say to you this, don't do drugs. And then just <laughs> then just leaving. <laughs> yeah. It's like because yeah. if you think about it, that whole thing is just like the worst acid trip ever. Like she drinks this drink, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, this yeah. isn't going to go well." And the reason you think that is because you and me, we went to schools where they showed us informational videos about don't do drugs, and then all the way through, <laughs> all the way through, you're thinking, "Oh, this is terrible. This is awful." And all it's lacking is the cut back to the club where the innocent underage girl who just wanted to be cool took the tab because the pretty boy told her to and now she's on the floor you know it's this whole thing and it is don't do drugs kids it's a public service announcement dressed up as a fantasy novel I see through you George Martin excellent (laughs) um well, that's where we leave it for this part. It's been a monster. We've done about two hours of discussion Epic. there. And, um, yeah, Daenerys has escaped. I mean, she's not really... She's basically back where she started, isn't she? she got a few weird um, cryptic clues for the future, possibly. Mm. And um, and now she's back where she started after being nearly killed. Do you know what? Until you said that, I really hadn't noticed that because it was such a dramatic scene that I was like, yeah. I hadn't noticed that absolutely nothing of any plot importance had happened in it. <laughs> well look um, next up um, it's quite a short bit to read for next time you'll be delighted to hear after Woo-hoo! this monster that we've done this time yeah so uh, chapter 7 uh, part 7 we're going to do is going to be called A Man Without Honour 
And if you're reading along with us, read from page 641. Uh, uh, that's the next chapter, which is Tyrium. starts with, if you die stupidly, I'll feed your body to the goats. Um, as far as page 689, which is about John, and it starts, it was dark in the Skirling Pass. So once you get to that point, um, 689, John, it was dark in the Skirling Pass. Stop reading. And that's what next week's part will be about. Bosh. Oh, yeah. And uh, other than that, once again, if you want to uh, get your feedback into us, it's uh, sharkliveroil at gmail. No, it's not. This <laughs> Stop is- it. See, even I keep forgetting it. It's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter. We are at sharkliveroil. Dave. Matt. Time for your final thought. Don't do drugs, kids. (laughs) Thank you very much.